This podcast is brought to you by United Bank, the community bank of the nation's capital. This is Let's Have a Drink, a podcast from BizNow Media, where we grab a drink with the people who are shaping real estate in and around Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Rothstein, BizNow's East Coast editor. Good, good, good. Why don't you sit right here? And I'm gonna... Today, we're sitting down with Toby Bizzuto, the CEO of the Bizzuto Group. We meet at Brookland Pint, a bar and restaurant in Monroe Street Market in D.C.'s Brookland neighborhood. I was thinking about having a beer. How do you feel about having a beer? Typically would, yeah. um, 99% of the time, yeah. except I'm on some, like, this diet thing, mm-hmm. and my I'm in a contest, and it ends on Monday. The stakes are high. Yeah, yeah the stakes are well, we can get a coffee or, yeah, or tea. Bizzuto is a partner on the mixed-use project. It serves as a general contractor, and it manages the apartments upstairs. Could I get uh, the Ocelot live wire? Yeah, I'm just going to get a um, Diet Coke with a lemon. Diet Coke lemon? Yeah, thanks. The last time we spoke uh, you know, like this was right as you had taken over our company. You had just taken over as uh, you know, CEO. Uh, yes. And uh, you know, your dad was chairman, is still chairman. How has that gone? I mean, three, three years in, you're kind of a grizzled vet now. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you, you learn something every day in this role. And I bet if you ask me the same question as to how it's going 20 years from now, mm-hmm. I'll answer the same way. It's, um, first of all, I love it. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I believe the company is um, doing great, and I attribute that to my team, not, not necessarily to, to my efforts. Um, but I can tell you that I personally find every day challenging and exciting. You know, the longer you lead, the more things you see. And mm-hmm. the more the more different situations arise, and the more different types of deals or different types of situations, and you learn obviously uh, by experience. So going through these things has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been great. Mm-hmm. I, I lo- absolutely love it. Has the dynamic between you and your father? Because he, I mean, he's the sure. chairman of the board. The CEO has yes. to answer to the board, uh, and he was CEO when you when you were president. Has that changed at all uh, since you became CEO? Um, I've been very blessed that my relationship with my father is an extremely strong one, um, almost surprisingly so. He's less participatory in the day-to-day of the company, but very participatory with respect to strategy, and he's been extremely supportive of me mm-hmm. and the company. Um, he, he did a great thing when he planned succession, he and his partners, uh, in that they didn't only focus on me mm-hmm. as the sort of heir apparent of the company, but also on what my partner, who my partners were, what their futures would look like. And so many times in a family business, the family member, usually the patriarch, mm-hmm. focuses so much on usually the son and now thankfully sometimes daughters, mm-hmm. uh, and what their career is going to look like and they forget everyone else. Mm-hmm. My father's done a, a wonderful job helping to create a company and he, well, he really created it, but helping me prolong a company with amazing tenured people. You mentioned your team. Last time we talked, um, you know, a big subject to that was, um, you know, the elevation of the women in the, you know, in the executive roles. And I think right as you took over, you were like, this is 
something that I really am passionate about is elevating women, promoting women, putting money where the mouth is, because there's a lot of mouth about gender equality. Sure. In our world, people in real estate may have heard of my dad, but I also was raised by a mother who's an extremely intelligent and powerful business person. So I've been raised where it was pretty normal to assume that women should and could have every bit is an important or more important role than a man in a house. So um, what I learned by extension when I took over the company is that the bigger the company has become, the larger our platform is. And you can use that platform for a hell of a lot of things. Well, I thought to myself, we can use that platform for something really good. When you have a big business, for whatever reason, people are more interested in what you have to say. What a blessing that someone actually cares. Mm -hmm. And so then what are you gonna use that moment for? What are you going to say? What are you gonna do? And in our company, we, we not only believe that we are creating what we call sanctuary for our residents, meaning we try to create impactful, meaningful residential housing for them, mm -hmm. spaces for them, uh, but also for the community. You know, how are we gonna impact the community? So. You know, to answer your question, mm -hmm. it's not an HR initiative for us to have a more diverse workforce. It's part of what I believe makes us successful. And even if it wasn't, I think it's important to do. Because again, I have an opportunity. So what are you going to do with it? So even if we made no money this year, mm -hmm. and hopefully we will, <laughs> um, I will know that we have a company where there's families serving families. Like we have a wonderful company full of people that I've learned from and they share their culture on a monthly basis. We have events around each, each culture. So we have Black History Month, you have a, uh, we have a group that's sort of Latin American culture as an example and everybody comes down to the training room and they have food and speakers and it's, it's a wonderful way to learn. And I can say personally that I've learned so much about other people just from that. And you really begin to appreciate that there's far more perspectives than your own. And I think that really um, ultimately helps in business. The Bizzuto Group has built or acquired more than 40,000 homes and manages more than 70,000 apartments up and down the East Coast. It won the Property Management Firm of the Year Award from the National Association of Home Builders in 2018. Some people say they're apartment developers or home builders. Mm -hmm. We think we're in it for a far more noble purpose. And it may sound a little lofty, but lofty's good, man. If someone wa if you're a manager and someone or a leasing agent or someone walks into your building that's a, a current resident and they look upset and you're able to talk to them as a human being and understand them and help them and make their day even an iota better. <laughs> You're still fulfilling your role as a manager of an apartment building and collecting their rent, et cetera, but you've fulfilled a far greater role and that you've created this concept of home. We're trying to have more emotional intelligence. We're trying to sort of have a heart-driven versus completely mind, you know, head-driven mm -hmm. company. That's not to say we don't expect results. Not only do I expect results, but our results are usually superior to our competitors. On the management side, as an example, we usually command a premium for Bizzuto managed property uh, in terms of what people pay for rent. 
and I've always believed it's the same reason why you pay more to go to a beautiful restaurant with a great chef mm -hmm. than you do when you go to Chipotle. Both serve a purpose. Chipotle is good, it's a value, it's quick, it's in and out, it's mm -hmm. functional. Going to a nice restaurant is an experience. The music's right, the lighting is right, the service is right, the ingredients are right. Everything from the beginning to the end, you feel like that's your sanctuary at that moment. Your dad founded the Brazito Group something like 30 years ago yeah. at this point. You started working there in 2001? Yes. What were you doing before you started at the Brazil Group? When I was in college, I was a musician. I went mm -hmm. to Colgate University, and uh, I worked in the music industry in addition to being in the band. Mm -hmm. In the band, I did uh, summer internships at Sony Records and they actually in New York City, and they actually hired me as an employee mm -hmm. while I was still a senior at Colgate. I worked out of my a, a fraternity room in the second half of the day I went to school in the beginning as a marketing representative. Then I worked for Electra Records in New York after college for a year or two. And where it was an enjoyable experience, I quickly realized I didn't want to be in the music business for my career. And I approached my father and said, I think I'd like to learn about real estate and come to work for you. And he said, well, that's wonderful, but I don't want you to work here. He and his partner said this. Um, until you work somewhere else in real estate for a number of years, then go to grad school and then we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I worked here in DC for a real estate finance company for a couple of years, three and a half, four years. And then I went to NYU for their graduate program mm -hmm. in real estate and JP Morgan was nice enough to offer me a paid uh, internship while I was in school. And I didn't, then I started at the company when I was 28 mm -hmm. uh, as a what we call a development associate, some others may call an analyst, an mm -hmm. entry-level development position. So your father made you start, start at the bottom. Yeah, ab absolutely. So the good news there was I didn't start until I had already had a modicum of experience. Mm -hmm. The position I was in, I was candidly, maybe not overqualified for, but I was as qualified or more than you would typically be in that mm -hmm. starting level position. There's no doubt, however, that as a son or daughter of an owner, if you do things right, perhaps the path for you is um, more obvious or uh, more blessed maybe than someone that doesn't have that fortune, mm -hmm. good fortune. But I would suggest that it, it created a scenario where I always have believed I need to work twice as hard as the next person because there are, everyone is watching. And, even if I was to get into a role, like a CEO role, fairly or unfairly, if people aren't bought in to who you are and what you're all about, they're not going to stay at the company. So it doesn't really matter how you got there. It's, do you have the humility and the respect to <laughs> understand that regardless of why you're there or how you're there, that are you going to be a good leader? Are you going to be commensurate or better than the previous leader, um, or should would people be better off going somewhere else? So that's, I consider that, I'll probably consider that a challenge my entire life. Coming up, Toby discusses DC's gentrification backlash, his idea of succession, and his call to action to invest in Baltimore. What makes United Bank the community bank of the nation's capital? United Bank puts their customers and communities first. 
That means listening before developing solutions and aligning their approach with your goals. Combine that with extensive local knowledge and a focus on personal relationships, and it's no wonder Washingtonians choose United Bank. Bankwithunited.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. I mean, I moved to this neighborhood two years ago uh, after this all was here. And, you know, it's, it's not very often in D.C., which has been built up so much over the years, that one project can really change the trajectory of a full neighborhood just because it has become the center of gravity for a really old neighborhood. I mean, Brookland's been around since the Civil War. You said you remember being on, like, the initial meetings. What do you remember of this site, about the plans for the site before sure. it even came together? It was already a wonderful neighborhood, but it, this area in particular, where we're sitting now, were a bunch of dilapidated dorms, and many were closed. There was chain link fence. There was hypodermic needles. Is that what they call them? Yeah. All over so. the all over the ground. Mm -hmm. There were rats. There was drug dealers. It was really scary, and that was at the foot of this beautiful Catholic university, right? It's crazy. It didn't fit. It wasn't compatible with who this neighborhood was or wanted to be. All the Catholic knocked down all the buildings before we got started and we had this huge uh, palette or this canvas rather to, to paint on and kind of ironic choice of words given that we ultimately had it be an art, have an arts component with I believe it was 26 or 27 artist studios on the ground floor of uh, our, this walk outside this window here or on the other side and um, that lent some creativity to the space. It was partially a proffer to the community, was its original intent, but mm -hmm. it ended up being my favorite part of the... It's everyone's favorite part. It's, it should be, because it's wonderful, mm -hmm. and it allows uh, artists that are picked and curated by a, a DC nonprofit arts agency, not by me, mm -hmm. um, and they pay, I, if, if my memory serves me correctly, a third of what they would have paid otherwise for rent. Mm -hmm. with the only condition that they open their studio to uh, local residents to see and shop and just to watch on certain occasions. And things like that, it's that bigger thinking, it's about a community impact beyond just your financial impact. Mm -hmm. And then to my previous point, if you create enough value for your resident, your customer in the neighborhood, people will pay more for that experience. Mm -hmm. and. I believe our rent here is 20 or 25% higher than any rental comparable in the area. That does not surprise me. <laughs> and I think it should be because the it's you couldn't find a cigarette butt anywhere around here. It's so <laughs> clean. Our staff is wonderful, but the community itself is wonderful. This has been such a positive for the community. The community really does love this space. And yet, really since this has opened, the attitude about development in this area has shifted kind of dramatically. And, uh, you know, one of your development colleagues in the Kitty Group, they have a building three blocks, or a piece of land three blocks away that they've tried and tried and tried to build on. And, you know, the community or pieces or factions of the community, depending on who you ask, um, has peeled and stopped it from happening. And, you know, there's a lot of development negativity in Northeast. DC right now. It's one of the toughest places to build in the city, sure. even though it's where everyone in all the, the development community wants to build because it's where the, the land is. 
what do you make of that as someone who has brought a successful development to this area that you see people like and now the next ones are so much harder for everyone else? Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, when you're one of the first to come in to a neighborhood, whereas there might be initial opposition, you might work with the community and develop a very, in this case, large project. That may fatigue, even if they love it, that might be just enough mm -hmm. for the community. So that's perfect, that's all I need, I don't want anything else. So the second or third person might have a harder time because of course there, there's the typical um, neighborhood concern of traffic or other, other impacts that they may perceive as negative. So rightly or wrongly, they, very, they conflate more development with more problems. I would suggest that's not the case, but I'm a developer. Right, so of course my perspective is that, but I actually genuinely believe it. But when a neighborhood quote unquote gentrifies, there's a lot of people that resent it, whereas there's other people that move in and appreciate it. And I think being a developer, you have to respect both and understand that both exist. And if you can coexist with the, and again, act as a guest versus a bully in a neighborhood, then typically things go well. You live in Baltimore, right? I do live in Baltimore. Where in, where in Baltimore do you live? I live on the city-county line, but I'm in Baltimore City. You wrote an op-ed in the Baltimore Sun, I want to say. Oh, did you see it? I did. I read that this morning, oh, in fact. I uh, hope you liked it. Uh, I did. Um, you had a line in there uh, about developers, or I don't know if it's specifically developers, but like profit should not be the end goal for Baltimore right now, or it should not be the, the ultimate goal yeah. for Baltimore right now. Don't hear a lot of business leaders say that. The thesis of that op-ed was that Baltimore is a very challenged city with a lot of problems. And you have two choices. You can either capitulate, pack up, move north, ignore it, or south and ignore it, or do something about it. And I was imploring business leaders or community leaders or faith leaders, whatever your specialty is, teachers, et cetera, to do whatever they do with their talents in their life. And almost like a double down, like do something positive in Baltimore. Don't complain about it. Do something to change it. Do something to help it. And instead of merely focusing on profit as your motivator, I suggested that instead of just being successful, you could make your company significant. And how do you become significant? Well, significance to me is defined by the impact you make on others or the community. So my thesis was do something that is significant with your life. And significance is something that can be measured in lifetimes, not just quarters. And in business school, they teach you get ready for your quarterly report. It takes two months to prepare for your third month report. So the majority of your quarter is spending preparing for your quarterly summary. And there's a place for that, I suppose, just not for me. And so what we're saying is, can we create a company or build a company that has a legacy that transcends just a quarter? You know, when you're gone, how will people remember you? And so the op-ed was the thinking that, look, if you want your legacy to just be you made money, well, you can make money where doing whatever you want. It's not always good, by the way. 
uh, you can make money selling drugs. Like it's not. There, there's something in Buddhism called right livelihood. It's like, have you chosen a livelihood that is positive to the world? If you are an arms dealer or a narcotics dealer, your profession by its very choice has a negative impact on the world. We've chosen to be developers and managers and construction workers. How, can we make an impact, a positive impact on the world? That was my intent. Yes, profit is not... However, you do need to make profit. I heard a quote once, no margin, no mission. But the idea being that if you don't, if you're not profitable, you can no longer enjoy the benefit of all these things you want to do. So my goal is to create a long-term family business that is perpetually profitable in order to do great things. Mm -hmm. You know, those are, like I said, those are lofty dreams lofty. Yep. for Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore needs like real solutions. Uh, sure does. What do you think needs to happen short term, medium tour, term to just at least stabilize this the city? Because it's it's. I mean, I don't want to play up the violence. I mean, that's been done enough. Um, but as someone who covers business and who covers real estate, you don't get good news out of out of there. Yeah, the um, the apartment vacancy is actually excellent in Baltimore, the office vacancy is mediocre, and the health institutions are phenomenal. So there are qualities that are excellent about the city, and then the historic neighborhoods are beautiful. Um, you know, you've had a population decline. Uh, for a while there, over the past few years, there's been an influx of new residents, but now it looks like there's some decline again. Is it attributable to a rise in crime? Perhaps. But regardless, crime is a, a, a very big problem. I hate to say it, man, but so many major cities have major crime problems and they're relegated to neighborhoods that are drug-infested or violent neighborhoods. And they're so often ignored by the business community because it doesn't affect them. That's a terrible thing. It's like they don't... It's like a tale of two cities. They... Chicago is a perfect example. It's one of the highest murder rates in the country. Yeah, you wouldn't know it on Michigan Avenue, would you? Nor do I think the people on Michigan Avenue necessarily ask a whole lot about it. I think the same is true in Baltimore. The difference is that in Baltimore, smaller levels of crime, you know, petty crime has begin, begun to permeate or touch the downtown. And either way, I would suggest is bad. I would suggest the ignorance of what was happening is terrible, and now the realization that something bad is happening and not doing anything about it is tough. There's a new commi police commissioner in town, and there's a lot of hope that he will be successful. But I think fundamentally it starts with our, the, our children, and the school system needs to be better, and the, the way these kids are raised. And, I mean, to be raised in an environment surrounded by drugs and violence and a poor school system. I mean, what do you think the outcome will be of that child? So we need to create a better future for the children of our city. I don't know how to do that, but I know that business leaders need to have business, faith, civic, community leaders, etc. need to actually talk about it and do something about it. How do you see the evolution of the Bizzuto Group to the point where you know, that next generation will, will come in? How are you preparing for that? The idea is that we want to have a multi-generational company, meaning not only owned multi-generationally, but run multi-generationally. 
I have two daughters uh, who are preteens and a son who's 10. And they have every bit of an opportunity as my son would. In fact, the idea that one would have more of an opportunity than another because of gender has candidly never even <laughs> occurred to me. It's If they were even interested in the business, I would fully expect that it would be a meritocracy as much as possible. Um, they may choose to do something completely different, which is great too. But either way, I want to have an opportunity for them uh, or for others in the next generation. And that includes people that work for me. I want their children to have an opportunity to work at the Bizzuto Group in 30 years, not just the next two, as an example. And that's why we want to stay private, and that's why we want to stay family-owned, so we can, for better or for worse, control that destiny. All right, Toby, that's all I got for you. Thanks. Yeah, man, thank thanks you so much. So much. It's an this honor is, to speak with you. This is fabulous. Thank so you. Miriam Hall is the creator and executive producer of Let's Have a Drink. Its supervising producer is Mark Bonner. Travis Gonzalez is the audio editor. 